Now, how many of you were here two years ago, and you remember on a Sunday morning, now some of you are like, what even happened two weeks ago, all right? I have got a Ruth Bible study and series, a teaching series that I want to do through the book of Ruth, but it's coming in the spring or summer of 2019. How many of you remember that a few years ago, a couple years ago, a couple of you? And, uh, and so now here it is. It was on my calendar. It was on my schedule. I've been preparing for it, praying for it. And uh, so today launches the new teaching series, Ruth, Go Into the Unknown. Now here, I get it from the very beginning. I understand, men, we're looking into a book of the Bible. We're going to take probably, I don't know, 11, 12 weeks. You see the schedule there in your bulletin. It's got all the text, all the titles, and uh, the dates that we're going to dig into it. Um, and so as guys, I realize you're thinking, okay, this is a book named after a woman, uh, the script straight from a Hallmark movie, and it's like, come on, is this really for me, okay? And the answer is yes, it is, okay? Um, this is a book full of applicable truths to our spiritual journey, and um, we're going to learn a lot together through that. Today, we're going to start uh, with the theme verse. And we're going, to, we're going to look and see what, what is going on through the book of Ruth or the character of who Ruth is. And, uh, and so we're going to encourage ourselves with that. And I, I want to I ask you to, to make an, a commitment that you will go through this teaching series with us and, uh, and that you will come each week prepared and even asking God to show you or to teach you what is relevant and, and helpful, applicable to your life at that moment. Um, this is straight from the Word of God. And so, of course, God's Word is powerful, and uh, God's Word is applicable, and so we're going to use it to strengthen our life, but we have to come prepared and ready and eager to be fed in that way. Now, the events of this book, they take place during the time of the judges, and it's, it's really important to remember, and I think these might be in your notes, these were some of the darkest days of Israel's history some of the darkest days of their story. Now, Israel's had some dark days. And when you study the book of Judges, you'll see that a lot of things were going on, that God used these judges to come in and proclaim the word and uh, to give them direction from God. There was no king in Israel. Remember the last verse, uh, just a page over in Judges 21, verse 25, in those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's a very dangerous place to be. But God was still at work, okay? So it's easy for us to end Judges 21, 25 and be like, no king, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. This is a bad deal. This is not a good situation. But we have to remember that God was still at work. And uh, some were, were still being reverent and honoring to Yahweh, to God. And, and there was still hope. And, and thus, the book of Ruth. We end with Judges 21, no king, everybody did that which was right in their own eyes, darkest days of their story, oh, doom and gloom, until we get to the book of Ruth and we realize, oh, God's still in control, God's still at work, and there are still people who are God-honoring, God-fearing, and reverent to God. By the way, let's seem to be drastically different from the last 100 or 200 years when it was established. Uh, let's understand, though. That that doesn't mean God has given up or that everything is crumbling around us. There's a, there's a church worldwide that is still standing firm and standing strong. And that's the call to the church of America that says we too must stand for holiness and stand true. Because God is still at work. And we can be reverent, honoring, and God-fearing and see his handiwork right in front of us. And specifically, even personally, in our own lives. 
that's one of the things that we study and learn through this book of Ruth. So the book of Ruth bridges between the times of the judges and, uh, and to what was going on there in Bethlehem there with Ruth. And so some of the key ideas of the book of Ruth are God's faithfulness and loyalty. Um, it's also the concept of the kinsman redeemer, which we'll get into and study throughout this series. And then David's line and family Messiah, Jesus Christ, and that seed. And so this is an important uh, theme or idea that's, that's going throughout. So let's we're going to jump right into the story today with chapter 1, verse number 16. And we're just going to read one verse. It's kind of that week that launches the series and kind of lays the, the groundwork. It's kind of our introduction and then uh, sends us off on our pathway. So verse number 16, Ruth chapter 1. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. This morning we launch into this series, Go Into the Unknown. What does that mean for us, just like it meant for Ruth? Father, as we launch this new series through the book of Ruth, I know that we all probably come to the table today with our own um, preconceived um, assumptions. We may, um, we may already think we, um, we know how it's going to end uh, as we've, we're familiar with the story, uh, but help us to become moldable through this series. Help us to be prepared each week to be taught. I know that uh, there are some really important truths that you want to use to shape us. And so would you give us wisdom this morning, even as we look into this text we ask not that has taken place in Jesus' name, amen. Now, you know we've jumped right into the story. There's a lot that has taken place, verses 1 through 15, and I want to kind of rehash a little bit about that. Next week, we're going to study verses 1 through 5, and we're going to study the crisis that we all avoid. Then we're going to study verse 6 through 15 and see the free pass refusal, um, but what has happened is, is that Naomi and her husband Elimelech, they have uh, taken their two sons, and they've moved away from their homes in, in Bethlehem. And they've gone to live in Moab. That's verses 1 and 2. Well, there in Moab is where Elimelech dies. So dad dies. It's a very sad and and, uh, difficult time, verse number 3. Well, her two sons, Naomi's two sons, they get married to Orpah and Ruth. And that happens in verse number 4. Well, these two sons then die, as it's recorded in verse number 5. So it's a really sad situation building the script for this book. You've got three widows who are trying to figure out what is next in their life. So Naomi decides that she's going to return to her homeland in Bethlehem, and she's going to spend, uh, well, the, Bible, the, verse, uh, the passage here will spend the next 10 verses, verses 6 through 15, as she's going to try to convince her daughter-in-laws to go back to their homes, back to their mom and dad, and, and, uh, and to get remarried and to, to start their life again there. So Orpah takes the opportunity to return to her home, and she returns to her family and also returns to her false gods. And we never hear anything more of Orpah again. But Naomi is still trying to convince Ruth in verse number 16. This is kind of the the catalyst here where she's trying to convince Ruth to follow suit of her sister-in-law and to please just go. And, And this, as we read in our text, is how Ruth responds to Naomi's request to just go home. 
Now, I understand that some of you have read this story before, and some of you probably have studied this book with a Bible study, six weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks study, very in-depth. And there's probably a lot that you've learned and you've taken, and and that is something that we can partner alongside as we study together uh, through this series. Now, as we study this story that's such a sad fate here at the very beginning, but Ruth is going to set the stage by going into the unknown And she sets out an example for us to realize that sometimes God calls us to go into the unknown. Now, none of us are comfortable with that, and none of us sign up for that, and certainly none of us like that. We always really like to see the game plan. We like to see the blueprint. We we want to know the master plan. How is this going to unfold? What's the timing? What are the consequences? What are the blessings? And Ruth is taking a step of faith to go into the unknown without any assurance, without any aid, without... Verse number 16. Going into the unknown can be a real struggle. First part, he says, she says, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. You know, Ruth will have to decide which struggle is, uh, she's going to put her energy and her focus and her attention on. Is she going to put her struggle on blaming God? Is she going to put her energy in the struggle of doubting God? Or is she going to struggle with bitterness, rebellion, or turning away from and following God? You see, Ruth had a decision here. Where is she going to put her energies? Where is she going to put her struggle? It would have been very easy for her to, to struggle with blaming God. I mean, she could have said, God, we had a really good marriage, and we were still in our early days, and we were going to have a family, and, and, um, and we were, things were going so well. Um, yeah, sure, we had our little, t- little fights here and there, but, you know, we would kiss, make up, get over it, we'd move on, and, and uh, man, you know, things are, go- God, why in the world would you even take the love of my life? Why would you do this? And I just don't know if I can move on. I don't know if I can move forward. You have drained me. You've taken me. You've, you've taken my, my soulmate. You've taken every part of me, God, and, and I just can't, I don't know if I can trust you anymore with my life. I don't know if I can give you anything more of who I am and what I am, because I don't, I don't know what you're going to do next, and I don't know what you're going to call me to do. Ruth could have very easily gone to that struggle of blaming God. She could have doubted God and his goodness. She could have become bitter, rebellious, and just completely walking away from God. But she decided that this struggle, she was going to forsake everything else, and she was going to follow the one true God. David Shepard wrote this. He said, Ruth possesses nothing. No deity has promised her blessing." No human being has come to her aid. She lives and chooses without a support system, and she knows that the fruit of her decision may well be the emptiness of rejection and perhaps even death. She has committed herself to an older widow rather than search for a new husband. There is no more radical decision in all the memories of Israel. I believe that. No more radical decision in the memories of Israel. You think, well, Abraham was a man of faith. Yes, he had God confirming, a deity confirmed, God himself confirmed that if you'll go, I will lead you. Uh, You would say, well, Moses was a great man of faith, yet he had support systems around him, a father-in-law who would encourage him, a wife that would help, and then uh, a brother uh, that would uh, assist him in his journey. So we find that Ruth is going to have this real struggle, and her answer is a classic expression of faithfulness. She says, entreat me not. She says, please, don't beg me to leave. I'm not going to go. I don't want to leave you. I'm refusing to leave, and and I'm going to go with you. Everything around her presented obstacles of her faith, yet she still trusted God. Think about her background. 
Her background was against her. She was from Moab, and, um, and they worshiped the god of, of Chemosh, who accepted human sacrifices and encouraged immorality. That's what Ruth grew up with, by the way. She grew up in Moab where they served a false god who was all about immorality and then sacrificing your, human, your, your children, human sacrifices. So that her background's all against her. Uh, also, her circumstances are against her. Her father-in-law dies. Her brother-in-law dies. Her husband has died. She was a widow with no support. And she may have thought, is this the way that God treats his people? You know what? Naomi was even against her. Because she had her own struggles. And she's urging Ruth to return to her families and just return to her gods. She wants to wash her hands away. Just Orpah went, and, and that's a relief. Ruth, can you just, just go? Go back to your mom. Go back to your dad. Go back to your house. Go back to your city. Go back to your gods. In verse number 20, we find that Naomi is struggling. She says, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant, but rather call me Mara, which means bitter. So she's got her own emotional struggles. So she's got, Ruth has everything going against her, but remember, God has a plan for her. And when you're at your wits, um, Jeremiah, show it to the least likely people in the least likely ways. You know about Jeremiah 29, 11, Brooklyn was singing this at school the other day for one of their programs, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you. I know the plans that I have for you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Now, to give you an expected end doesn't mean what your expectations are of the conclusion, because we'd all sign up for that. Hey, I mean, you're going to give me peace with no evil, and you'll give me my expected end. Well, the literal translation of an expected end means to give you a future and a hope. So the promise to give you hope and to give you a future means that that's still a part of God's sovereign plan. So God is going to take the least likely and he's going to do that which you think is not even possible. And he will work his plan for your life. So going into the unknown means that we will stay committed to following God's way even when it is not easy and even when it does not make sense. Some of you are living there right now. Some of you have gone into the unknown and it's not easy and it does not make sense. But God has given you reassurance after reassurance. He's being patient, by the way, with you. Because there are times where you're like, oh, can I really trust God with this next step? And he says, I've never failed you. I've never forsaken you. And it's a real struggle. And Ruth says, I'm not going to leave you. And then also in the second part of this verse, we see that going into the unknown is a decision to go in the right direction. She says, for whither thou goest, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. So Ruth is at this crossroads. She knows that Naomi has nothing to offer her except for really poverty and difficulties. How many of you have ever signed up for poverty and difficulties? Now, maybe in your early marriage, when you're like, if I marry this guy, it's going to be poverty and difficulties, but I am so in love, and he is the hunk of my dreams, and we're going to do this together. And then when he took you to McDonald's for your honeymoon, you said, wow, this poverty and difficulty starts right away, Okay. <laughs> But he did get you a Big Mac, so you can't complain. <laughs> Choosing the right direction can be a tricky choice at times. It really can. Um, we were, our family was up at uh, Washington, D.C. for spring break. And we flew into Reagan and, and uh, got an Uber to take us from Reagan to the hotel. And then our plan was, instead of renting a car, 
Um, we were just going to call Uber and, and get us a, a, a ride, or we were going to take the subway and get us to where we needed to go. And so, I, you know, it's a big city, and it's a full city. How many of you have been to D.C. before? You know exactly, okay? And some of you lived up in that way. So you know it's a busy city. You don't, I mean, you, you can follow the map, and Siri's going to tell you where to go. That's the beauty of technology today. But man, even watching the roads and, and watching where people are going and crisscrossing and everything, I'm like, I'm glad I'm not driving. And, uh, and so we would get an Uber everywhere we needed to go. It, was, um, it probably was about the same since uh, overnight parking was $55 a night. I thought, you know, I mean, that's a rental car right there. So we'll just pay, uh, pay an Uber and uh, we'll be fine. So I remember we would go from one place to the next, one, one memorial to another and, and uh, one site to see. And I just remember sitting next to the driver and I just always was confident. I got in. I said, hey, we're, uh, we're, headed to the, uh, we're, we're headed to the White House tour today. Okay, plugs it in, we head that way. Then we have conversation. And you know what, during the way, I was never like, um, I think you were supposed to turn down that road. That would have been a better way to go. No, never. But you know what I did do? I was like, so where are you from? Um, what brought you to D.C.? And, uh, and then, and, what is that building? Oh, wow, check that out. Girls, look, look at this building. Well, what is that? What? Oh, Really? And just enjoyed the journey without my own way. Because I didn't say, you know what? We could have probably taken that road because that would have been a better way. No, I was just trusting in the one who was behind the steering wheel taking me to where I needed to be. So you see, too often we would say that God is our co-pilot. I remember that. God is your pilot. Got one. I'll rip it off for you, okay? But God is not your co-pilot. God is your pilot. And you just be thankful you can be any part of that co-co pilot, all right? And so God is in the driver's seat. And too often in our life, we just want to be in control. And we say, I know the best way to get there. I know the best way to get married. I know the best way to do college. I know the best way to do my career. I know the best way to raise my family. I know the best way to do this, interact with people. And all of a sudden, we want to control every part of our life. And what Ruth is teaching us is she says, going there. Because I'm just going to trust God. By choosing to follow Naomi meant difficulty and poverty. But that just didn't matter to her. She still was going to go into the unknown because she trusted in God. Have you been there before? (laughs) Maybe you're there now. A little uncertain about what is next and how to get there. Just fully rely on God. Sometimes we need to slow down our life and quiet our spirit long enough to just hear from God so that he says, the next step is taken care of. I just need you to trust me. And so following in the right direction, though it can be difficult, God shows us every, he's in control of every step of the way. Remember 1 Thessalonians 5.24, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. He will never fail. Third part of the verse. She says, thy people shall be my people. Going into the unknown requires surrounding yourself with godly people. You see, uh, she knows that this decision will have some consequences, and she is going to be cut off from her own people in Moab. Um, She will make Naomi's people her people, and she is going to surround herself with godly, impactful, authentic people. Um, Proverbs gives us some great thoughts here. Proverbs 18.24, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Proverbs 13, 20, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, 
but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. I want to illustrate this for just a moment. I need some help and participation. So when I think about surrounding myself as in my life, um, we all want to surround ourselves with, with helpful people. What we would say here is surrounding yourself with godly people. Now, there are a lot of moral people, and there are a lot of authentic people. There are a lot of good people that God allows to be in our life. But we also understand that sometimes they're not the godly influence that needs to be rubbing off on us. We also realize that sometimes in our life, there are negative people that God allows to be a part of our life that we just have to be very discerning of the amount of time we spend them and how much we let their spirit, their attitude, and their ways of living affect us. And so that just comes with discernment and that comes with wisdom from God. But if we're thinking about just trying to surround ourselves with people, let me, let me call up some of the guys here. So you guys are going to surround me, and um, I want to illustrate something that's really important for us in our spiritual journey, okay? So um, I want to have somebody seasoned, and uh, so Scott Boyd, you knew you were going to be picked on, so Mr. Scott, you come up. And um, so seasoned does not mean old, seasoned means weathered, and it means experienced, and it means somebody that you can talk to that says, hey, I'm facing this situation. I got a 10 and a 7-year-old, and, you know, we're facing this. Did you ever face that? Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, we talked through that a little bit. And there's a lot of things. You know, he's been married a while. And, and uh, so we talk about marriage things. And then he's been a teaching a Sunday school class for a lot of years. And, and so he's, he's got a lot of spiritual things. And so we can talk about spiritual things. And so I can surround myself with a godly person uh, that's seasoned, Okay. Um, fun. Brad, come on up, all right? So Brad's going to be my fun guy, um, like a mushroom, okay? So yeah, you're a fun guy, all right? So, um, so Brad's going to still... Now, remember, this is not who do I put in my life that's going to make me laugh and smile and have a lot of fun. This is still a godly person. This, you want the group to be godly, so it's not like, oh, I just want to be around Brad all the time because we have fun and we laugh and we cut up and we do this. No, he still has to be a godly influence in order for me to surround myself with him, okay? So I've got Brad, and so uh, Brad and I enjoy some time together just in our spiritual journey, all right? And then um, I need somebody who's uh, daring, all right, somebody who's risky because I'm going to kind of pull back a little bit. I don't do crazy things, and so I need somebody who's daring and kind of pushes me in that way. Jim Boatwright, where are you? All right, Jim, come on up, all right? So Jim Boatwright... Uh, last week for the uh, family scavenger hunt, we ran up to our first game and competition. They said, you have to take 20 clothespins and pin them to somebody's face. I was like, oh, that's not me. That's Jim Boatwright, all right? And so he had the 20 clothespins, all right? And so Jim is my daring guy and uh, godly influence and in, in, in somebody and just kind of leading us, okay? Um, and then uh, dad, where's dad? Okay, dad, start your journey up here. It's going to take you a little while, so come on up, all right? So uh, Bill Grant, my dad. And so um, if, if you have the privilege of having somebody in your life as a family member that is a godly influence in your life, you want to surround yourself with them. You want to spend time with them. You want to talk to them. We get to ride to, to uh, work together most every day, and we just talk about life stuff, and we talk about problems, and we talk about challenges, and, and we talk about spiritual things. And so it's surrounding yourself with that. Um, I need one more. Uh, Scott, is Scott Smith in here? Um, okay, Scott, come on up. Okay, here's Scott. I, you always want to surround yourself with somebody that you're smarter than, okay? So you got to bring somebody <laughs> up, okay? And, um, and somebody that you can really um, help you to feel better, all right? So... Uh, that's why Scott's here, okay? So good. No, really, the true example of Scott is somebody in your life that you are looking to pour into. Now, I've had the privilege. I was Scott Smith's youth pastor, 
uh, back in Macon, Georgia, and now um, he was one of my first hires, and now he's the youth and worship pastor here at the church, and, uh, and so he's somebody that God has given me the privilege of being able to pour into through the years, and so you want to surround yourself with somebody that's also going to be iron sharpening iron, but somebody that you know that God has placed in your life to be pouring into. Okay, guys, can you come a little closer? You're supposed to be surrounding me. Okay, so you're surrounding yourself with godly people. Now, none of these men are godly, but we just had to use them as an example, okay? But when you think about that, who's your inner circle? Um, who is it that you're spending conversations with? Who are you spending time with? Um, who do you pour your life into, and who do you have pour their life into you? Thank you, men. You can be seated. Um, when you think about what Ruth was doing, she was saying, Naomi, really going to Bethlehem, you're the only one that I know, but I want you to pour into me. I want to surround myself with you. And then, Naomi, I trust you so much that I want your people to be my people. And I want your God to be my God. That says a lot about Naomi. I mean, that's a mother-in-law and daughter-in-law relationship, which can be a little iffy at times. But this is a relationship that she says, I'm all in. Like, yeah, you're telling me I can go back home to mom and dad. I can go back to my place. I can go back to my, my upbringing. I can go back to my surroundings. But I, I want everything of who you are. So look for people like that in your life. Do you realize there are some people, though, that you do have to avoid? All right? So I'm going to call up five of you, and I'm going to teach you. <laughs> no, I won't do that. I would never do that because there's actually 15 of you that I've had to do. And that's... It would take too long, all right? No, you know God allows people in our life that are, are hypercritical, um, and that sharpens us and should make us better, and it should teach us discernment. There are also people in our life that are just pessimistic. Um, they're just always... Good. Now, there's a difference between being pessimistic and realist, okay? So there are people who are just realist. So you walk up to a friend, and you're like, man, next week I am reading through the whole Bible, and I'm memorizing the book of James, I'm like, ah, oh, I don't think you should try to do that. Psh, you're a pessimist. I don't need to be around you, all right? No, they're like just being real with you, okay? So there's a little bit of a difference between being pessimistic and realist. Some of you in here, you're just a realist. But you do need to avoid the pessimistic life that just drain your joy. There are people that take it out of you. You try so hard, God, I am going to love that person. I'm going to smile at them, and I'm going to have a good day next to them. And you walk into the office and you see them. You're like, good morning, Sarah. How are you? Where did you get those shoes? <laughs> yeah, I actually, uh, these are new shoes, but um, my husband bought them. Well, he has terrible taste. Well, you know what? God loves you. I'm going to my office, all right? <laughs> so there are people in your life that just rob your joy. You try so hard to love them. You try so hard to be kind to them, and yet they drain you. But you know what? In God's grace... You can still work through that. You can work past that. And you should be just taking them to the... Through some of the Psalms where David left his enemies with God. And you'll learn a lot through how David approached that. And so sometimes when we are surrounding ourselves with people, we have to be aware, evaluate. Hmm, who is it that I'm spending the most time with? And are they a positive influence or pourer into my life? Now, some of you would say, well, if you had to live with my wife, or if you had to live with my husband, or if you had to live with my kids, then you'd know the struggle. And that's probably true for some people. But that's where you have to be serious in your prayer. And you have to be very passionate and fervent in your prayer. 
I know some of your lives are very shattered because of hurtful people. Some of your lives are very fragile because of very negative people in your life. And that's where you just have to function in God's grace. And that's why it's so important to be a part of a healthy church family. That's a family that you can come to and you can open your heart. You can share your ups and downs. You can laugh together. You can cry together. You don't have to put on a front. You don't have to pretend. If somebody sees your spirit is down, they say, what's going on? Instead of saying, you know what? If everything's fine, everything's going to be okay. You're like, hey, actually, do you have five minutes? I just need to pour out to somebody. And then you can just share your heart. That's what a true family does. Now, sometimes we just want to avoid people. Like, look, I was just asking how you are, and I was thinking you were just going to say, fine, have a nice day, okay? (laughs) But you need to take that somewhere else, okay? Now, that may happen to you, um, but you have to find that connection within God's body, and that's why as a family, as a family unit, we grow together in this way. The last part is um, the last section of this verse is that going into the unknown calls for a commitment to the one true God. You see, she says, not only your people will be my people, but also thy God, my God. So in the very next verses, she's going to invoke Yahweh. She's going to make her claim in her trust and belief in God. Uh, It happened in verse number 17, where thou diest, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. And then in chapter 2, verse number 12, she says, The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. So Naomi is saying to Ruth, the Lord will recompense thy work, and he, it's under his wings that you have come to trust. Now, her trust may not have been well informed at this moment, but it was real. It was real. Do you know all of us are on this pattern or this journey in our spiritual life? And some of us, we get real insecure because we don't know where we're at spiritually or with our knowledge. And so then we kind of back away and we think, well, I don't know as much as them, or I haven't been in it as much as them, or I really don't know if I'm equipped like them. And all of a sudden, we disconnect ourselves. And so we say, well, I'm just not going to be involved, or I'm not going to be that connected. And, um, and we find that Jesus was a beautiful example of taking the outcast and the outsiders and bringing them into community. And by the way, I see that as a part of Parkway. I see that as a part of this family, as a part of who we are, as a part of our core. We take outsiders, people who are looking in, people who are a little timid, people whose lives are fragile, and they look to see, is there going to be any open and walk through life's journey together? Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, would you turn there just for a moment? In the New Testament, Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is going to give us this example of just spending time with with hurting people. And in verse number 9, we find that Matthew, the the disciple, is being called to follow Jesus. And as Jesus passed forth, verse number 9, chapter 9, Matthew, and as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of the custom, and he saith unto him, follow me. So Matthew's a tax collector. Nobody liked him. Um... And so he, Matthew, arose and followed him, Jesus. And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans, these were the more tax collectors, and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, now remember, Pharisees, religious leaders, looking in, seeing Jesus, 
sitting with tax collectors and other sinners. Now, why, does, why, does the, why do the tax collectors always get put in with, with the uh, sinners? Well, it's just, I mean, it's still today, IRS, right? Okay, so I mean, just it's all together, okay? But no, that's not true. Um, why we find this is that there were many times that these publicans, they were, they, were, they were the Jews that were hired by the Roman Empire, the Roman government, to collect the taxes of that region or from that uh, city. And so these publicans would be these tax collectors, almost be like a, even sometimes they would set up their booths and like they do on uh, Polk Parkway and people would come through and they would pay their dues, their taxes. And sometimes they would overcharge, remember Zacchaeus? And sometimes they would overcharge and take some for themselves and then give the right, the proper amount to uh, the Roman Empire. Well, these were Jews that were publicans and the other Jewish people were like, dude, you have sold us out. Like, what you're, you're working for the Roman Empire. You're taking our money. We shouldn't even be under this Roman rule and, and empire. What are you doing? And so publicans were really scorned. They were looked at it like, you, we want no part of you. And that's why the publicans were kind of a big deal. And then we would find that these sinners could have been a number of people. We know that uh, the New Testament would describe them in, them in a variety of ways. So the Pharisees, the religious leaders are looking at Jesus. Why is he hanging out with these, these outcast Jews who have sold out to the Roman Empire and collecting everybody's money and cheating them? But when Jesus heard that he said unto them, so when he heard what the Pharisees were saying, he said, they that be whole or well, they need not a physician, but they that are sick. So go ye and learn what, the means, what it meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus knew that he was not going to hang out his time with the Pharisee, the religious leaders who thought themselves to be overly righteous. He was going to spend his time with the sick and the sinners who knew they had hopelessness and knew they had a void and a need. And so here, this commitment that Ruth had was to the one true God. And we learn from what Jesus did that we too have this commitment to the one true God that says we will love God and love people beyond ourselves. God will take you wherever you are. He doesn't care about your past or your present. He, he wants to show you a new and transforming future, which starts today. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for eternal salvation, today can be that day of salvation. Here's what he said in John chapter 6. Jesus said, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. In verse 38, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the will of him, the Father that sent me, that everyone that seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. So he says, my mission is to do the will of the Father, and the Father wants those who see me and see my work and see what is doing, and those who will believe on me, they will receive. Seeing Jesus for who he is is so vital and important for the very foundation of what we believe here at Parkway. Because what will you do with Jesus? If you don't put Jesus in his proper place, you have nothing to bank on. You have nothing to trust in and it'll always fall apart. Ruth was a part of a group in the Old Testament that would look to the cross. And as they would look toward the cross in faith, just like Abraham did, Abraham was not a righteous man, but Abraham was granted because of his faith in looking to the cross, looking to God, he was given that salvation. And so they would look to the cross, and when they would look to the cross with that great faith, 
they would have Yahweh, God, the Lord, as a part of their life. So Ruth became a follower of, of God. And as a follower of Jesus Christ today, this is assuring. As a seeker looking for Christ, this is hopeful that he can be your savior. There was a pastor, and uh, he and his wife traveled to Toulon, France. And this was several years ago. I read the story a couple of years ago. They spent time visiting with Pastor Jean-Pierre and his wife, Jocelyn. Jean-Pierre could not speak any English. He could speak it very little, but he certainly could not speak it very well. And so his wife, Jocelyn, would translate for them as they would walk along the road. One evening, as the friends were spending time together, Jean-Pierre began to tell them about a young lady who had recently received Jesus Christ as her personal savior. She faced a great deal of persecution due to her decisions. You see, she had lost her friends. Uh, She um, was nearly disowned by her family. Everything in her life so drastically changed from what was normal for her. But by following Christ, it all changed. So then Jean-Pierre said something that his wife Jocelyn was really having a hard time translating into English for the travelers to understand. So she finally said, look, the best way to say this, my husband is saying that in spite of everything, loss of family, loss of friends, persecution, in spite of everything, this young lady gripped God. That was the best way they could translate it. So for you and me today, we look at Ruth. She's at a crossroads, going into really the unknown. What is she going to do? She grips God and never lets go. So how about you? How about me? Where are we at today? Going into the unknown is never comfortable. Going into the unknown is never favorable in our desire tank. But what it is, is ever so rewarding. So buckle up and grip God because he'll never let you down.